Hello, and welcome to Around the Table, a podcast about food stories from science to everyday life. So in this episode, I'm speaking with a friend and colleague in Copenhagen, Denmark, about her experience with new Nordic cuisine. And this is a podcast that we are pairing with one posted on August 20th. Do you want to just start with introducing yourself and where you live and maybe what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, as you said, my name is Anne Katrine, and I live uh, I live in Nørre, uh, at in a specific part of Copenhagen called Nørrebro, which is, I think, in some ways related to the new Nordic food movement. <laughs> um, but we might touch upon that later. Um, and I live on my own in a small apartment, and uh, and I'm a historian of medicine. So today we're talking about the new Nordic food movement, which, as I understand it, took off uh, after a number of Scandinavian chefs wrote a manifesto in 2004, and this was actually in Copenhagen, where you are. Um, and this movement has since grown immensely, and it focuses on the local and seasonal Uh, as a basis for new dishes that also combined uh, traditional Scandinavian food with more innovative approaches. So I'm curious about how this movement has changed the way that you eat um, just in your everyday life in Copenhagen. Yeah, that's a really good question. And like initially, when you asked me whether I wanted to join here, I was like, oh, but do I even eat Nordic food? And then I given it some thought. And I have, I probably, it probably has changed my way of eating quite a lot, actually. So um, um, ingredients wise, for example, I think when I grew up, the 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 nice thing to have in your kitchen and which I come from a very food interested family and so we always had that was um, olive oil you know extra virgin olive oil and now uh, right next to it you have the rapeseed oil and every evening when I cook I kind of deliberately make a decision you know is what style of food am I cooking is it Italian or French or Mediterranean in some way and I would use the olive oil and otherwise, I'll use the rapeseed oil. So I think that's just a very basic sign that it has actually changed quite profoundly in a way. It's not like I'm telling myself, oh, today I will have Nordic food or anything, new Nordic food or anything like that. But it's it's kind of been become ingrained in my way of making choices and deciding on I don't know, flavor profiles and stuff like that, because I think the new Nordic cuisine kind of introduced a new uh, flavor profile as well, which is slightly different than the kind of oomph factor, umami factor of more like traditional high-end 
French or Italian cooking. Wait, so what is different about the new Nordic diet's flavor profile? Oh, yeah. Well, at least to me, uh, it has meant a lot that a lot of the a lot of the chefs picking up on the new Nordic cuisine, they have a kitchen that is very where uh, veg, vegetables are very prominent. So that's been important to me, kind of uh, focusing on the vegetables. And sometimes meat would be there as well, but more like a, like an add-on or like, a, I don't know. Very often vegetables would take uh, center and that's radically new as to the kind of more traditional Danish cuisine that I grew up with. Wait, and how would that um, traditional cuisine differ? Oh, much more meat-based, and it would be like meat and potatoes, and if you were really lucky, maybe a salad, <laughs> but but very much meat and potatoes, and maybe some other cooked vegetables, but I'm a child of the 80s, so we had a lot of pasta in my childhood, um, like a lot of Italian-inspired pasta dishes, where, of course, you have more vegetables in, but, if, but whenever food became... Danish, it became very meat and potato centered. <laughs> so when you're talking about these little changes, like the you know the addition of the rapeseed oil and then this move towards plant based, is this something that um, you feel like you're also seeing in your friends and in your colleagues and in different people in your social circles? <laughs> well, I think it kind of uh, ties up the move to more towards more plant based. Probably also ties up with a food trend that I see all over the world, right, towards more plant-based eating uh, due to, like, environment and stuff like that. But then, because the new Nordic cuisine kind of <clears throat> kind of moved that way before it became... Well, I, I, I do think they also thought about it as being... Um, uh, what you call it, sustainable, but it wasn't so much framed around cl climate change as it would be now. So I do feel like that, that move towards more veg-based food is happening a lot of places in Denmark and um, along my family and friends. And I believe that one of the stones towards making that uh, possible was that some of these... Um, New Nordic cuisine kind of changed, like drew, drew attention to vegetables and simply showed that they could be more than a salad, you know, on the side, and that they could take center part of a of a meal and stuff like that. So I think it's all adding up, and I think and I think in a way, I mean, New Nordic cuisine is you can choose to to make it into this um, or to to view it as a as a movement on its own, but I mean, they're also calling for eating local, locally grown food, and I'm pretty sure that you can find that where you live as well. <laughs> right, like the farm-to-table movement. Yeah, no, exactly. So it's also kind of adding, tying up to that, I think. And, and the new Nordic diet is very seasonal as well, correct? Oh, yeah, for sure. No, very much. 
when I grew up, I, mean, I I grew up in a part of Denmark where you where you actually grow a lot of vegetables. So we have in my family, we always had this asparagus season and stuff like that, which is such a common thing to have in Germany and France and so many places. But it wasn't a huge thing in Denmark, and now I think it's a very, it's like a more much more broadly associated idea that you would have like asparagus season where you just need to eat as many asparagus as you can because it's such a short season um and also that you can go on you know living on like cabbage and kale was kind of reintroduced as these kind of stable hardy vegetables that you can uh, eat all winter as well because i think cabbage at least in Denmark, was associated with working class and poor people. This you would have you would talk about this smell of of cabbage in the staircases, right? That they would be cooking cabbage and they would be cooking it for very long, so that you would get this very kind of um, cabbagey smell, which was considered probably low class, yeah, lower class. So, so, so the thing about eating cabbage and kale is really a reintroduction. When I grew up, you could not get kale at the supermarket. Cabbage, always, but not kale. Do you think the um, you know, rising interest in kale also has to do with it being recognized as a healthy and nutritious you know, kind of superfood in more recent years? Going long back, I think kale has played a a huge part in the kind of nutritional status of the peasant um, uh, of the peasants in Denmark. I mean, you could eat potatoes and have kale, and at some point you didn't even have potatoes, right? Uh, but that they would really, really because it could be it could uh, you had like old songs about how the kale can stand covered by snow, right? You can still, but it's still growing, and you can still have it. Um, so I think it's been hugely important, um, nutritional wise, and even without knowing that exactly, at least most Danes would know these old songs <laughs> about the kale in the winter garden covered by snow. So when it came back in that way, I, I guess people thought it made sense as well. This kind of call for, you know. Because new Nordic cuisine is this interesting mixture of radical new ways of doing things, but also this call for traditional uh, ingredients, at least. I also think that that was put a lot of stress into this idea of the the healthiness of the Nordic diet as well. And I think initially some of the founders of the, some of the, authors of this initial dogma kind of uh, paper also took part in a, in a great health study, studying the health benefits, if any, of the Nordic new Nordic diet. Um, but then, of course, that was a new Nordic diet then carefully, well, I mean, this is my opinion, but... Um, 
obviously adjusted to what we already know about healthy diets, right? That grain and veg is healthy. I mean, that's not uh, that's not a new um, what you call it revolutionizing idea from the north. <laughs> But that, but but that some traditional Danish uh, things like the rye bread, the really dark rye bread, that that probably is a is a good thing and a healthy uh, bread, a healthy staple to have. Um, so that it kind of became imbued instead of just being traditional and what we've always been eating, it kind of became imbued with this. Oh, but it's also, you know. You are Nordic, <laughs> and and good for you. I I want to go back to what you said initially about your neighborhood and how that connects to the new Nordic food movement. Oh yeah, that's true. So I live in a in a neighborhood, and I I bought my apartment uh, a little over I think twelve years ago. Actually, that's a long time. Uh, I haven't always lived here. I mean, I've lived abroad as well some of the time, and um, and I've been sharing it and stuff like that. But but the neighborhood re- has really changed. So when I bought it, uh, it was beginning to change a little bit. Like you could get like like there was like a local cafe where you could get a latte and stuff like that. But otherwise, it would very much be what we would call. It's not pubs in the British way. It's it's more like uh, bars, very much bars, like working class area, um, quite ethnically mixed, which is not something Copenhagen is everywhere. Uh, and to some, had some rough, um, some rough edges as well. And and you have this street very close to where I live, which is called Jæsborgel, and. Um, after Noma, the very famous first New Nordic restaurant, uh, they um, like they started and became successful. And at some point, one of the chefs who had been part of that, he opened his own restaurant and he opened it in that street. And um, and I'm pretty sure that he was not the only one changing that street. But then it did actually change, and it suddenly you had this Michelin start restaurant serving new Nordic very vegetable orientated food uh, right next to uh, in a street that when I came here was very much dominated by um, by drug trade so um, so you could say that um, you can you can look at that in a positive way and say that the city has really developed and of course you could uh, be skeptical about it and call it gentrification. Um, I think it's a bit of both, probably. Uh, but 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 most new restaurants and more and more coming in this area of town, like serve uh, these kind of Nordic. I think I mean I've taken you test to some of those restaurants and you have all these little dishes with like vegetables and like good well I love that food I have to say and then the big thing natural wines which is a huge thing and which also started with Noma yeah I was just gonna bring up the natural wines 
I think in my neighborhood, Nørrebro, I'm often joking, but I think I'm right, that you, can act, you can't get anything but natural wines. Like conventional wines, you will have to go to the supermarket. <laughs> I mean, it's just interesting that this, this part of town, which is the, the newest one to go through this gentrification or city development or whatever you want to call it, that then it has become solely natural wines. I just find that that's um, um, interesting and a sign of, of how big an impact this new Nordic cuisine has had. That it's like it's not possible to open a restaurant at Nørrebro serving conventional wine. The food will be organic. There will be a lot of vegetables, you know. <laughs> um, even if you have like an Italian restaurant, the, the, the wines will still be natural, natural wines, yeah. So the last question I have for you is is really about, you know, access and, and class and who really is able to take part in new Nordic cuisine. Is this something that's, you know, very, very common in Copenhagen or is this more of a an upper middle class kind of thing? Well, I do think that it's... Um, I do think some changes have been quite widespread, but this idea of, I mean, someone like me making their own crowd, drinking natural wines, you know, all the, you know, I, I'm picking up a bag of uh, freshly harvested uh, local vegetables every week and so on that's a very typical Copenhagen middle class kind of thing I'm pretty sure probably white as well <laughs> um, so in, in a way it's a very uh, uh, but then those people make up a huge part of the Danish population you had to remember I mean, middle class is, yeah, we comprise a lot of of the population. Uh, so amongst my friends, it's, it's very normalized in many, many ways. I might be one of the more food interested, but, but it's, it's very common. Um, but I do think that this thing, of, for example, about the rapeseed and the reintroduction of um, of cabbage and kale and stuff like that has been widespread, definitely. Uh, and and this idea that Nordic or Danish food um, can be of very high quality, I think, has also uh, spread quite a lot. And I think some of them, some areas in Denmark where that might have been a bit, I don't know, depleted is that the right word has kind of re reconfigured themselves around growing local um specialities or having good vegetables or good honey or things like that so it's become a part of which is uh yeah so 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 you can also kind of uh use that in in less populated areas where you might have lost the local uh, slaughterhouse or something like that. So are there any final things that you want to share 
no, I mean, I mean, the, the, the last question, I mean, made me aware of how, of course, that I speak from this point of view, from, from being in the capital city, uh, having a lot of time to put into thoughts about food and stuff like that and, and having the phone funds for it and you know um but then i guess so in that way it is the new nordic food thing is of course also um like a hobby right <laughs> but i do eat it <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about your experiences of new Nordic food. Well, I, I hope you can use it. <laughs> Definitely, and I can't wait to visit again and drink some natural wine. Around the Table is a personal production of Dr. Tess Bird and Professor Stanley Uliazak, who are anthropologists of food and nutrition and of household uncertainty and insecurity. The opinions and ideas expressed are solely those of the contributors and podcasters and do not reflect the opinions of any university body. The music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you for tuning in.